All right, welcome to the 31st episode of the Latch Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Latchow, and today I'm lucky enough to be joined by Mike Vaccaro. Mike, how you doing? I'm good, Sam. How are you today? I'm doing well. I mean, I'm, I'm struggling. I mean, all my teams are in pretty precarious spots, minus the, the Giants, but I'm waiting to be seen what... Uh, what happens with them? But my my nets and my my nets and my Mets are both in a pretty bizarre situation right now. So I'm trying to I'm trying to get a, a grip on it. What I guess what off the bat? What's your general take on uh on the Mets and in your time being around the team this year? What what's it been like? Well, it's uh, it, it's been a struggle for them. They've scuffled from uh, really from the jump, and now it's it, it's harder and harder to. Uh, with a straight face, say that they're still in any kind of contention for um, I think that they would have had a great opportunity to maybe make a, a dent in things if they would have uh, beaten the Rockies on Sunday, but they didn't. They got smoked. Uh, so instead of picking up three games on the wild card, later they picked up one game. And, you know, when you're when you're six, seven games under 500, you need to make uh, a faster and larger impact in that. So I think what that does is make them, it push them one step closer to being genuine sellers of the deadline, which probably isn't the worst thing in the world. I don't think you're the most optimistic Mets fan. You know, if you look at the field, and not just the field, the division, the wild card, or the National League, but um, I, I, I don't think you've ranked the Mets among the best teams in, in baseball this year. So if you're going to, uh, to, to make a run, I think it's better to, to, to try and figure out a way to add pieces for 2018. That's not the, fun, the most fun way to spend the baseball season, obviously. I mean, you'd rather be in contention. But, uh, you know, I think one of the things the Mets have tried to do, and Terry Collins has verbalized it, they've sat around waiting, you know, waiting for a 9 or a 10 game winning streak, and, and that just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think a lot of us Mets fans thought that something would uh, would turn around, kind of like what I guess Cubs fans are also uh, hoping for and now I guess expecting after the uh, Quintana trade. I'm wondering, the one thing I have to say, maybe it's the, uh, the negative – pessimistic Met fan to me. I'm wondering if like in your time being um, around the team and just hearing what you've heard is, is the vibe more, more so that this season is like a bit of a, a loss, a loss season, kind of like how, how last year felt. Obviously last year had a more positive note because they ended up really grinding and making the playoffs. Or is there like a little bit of a, of like an ominous sense of, has has the window like already closed? Are we already starting to see like the wear and tear on the pitchers? Obviously, you have a ton of guys like uh, Granderson and and Bruce who are free agents at the end of the year. A bunch of the relievers are free agents at the end of the year. I'm just kind of curious what the general vibe is moving forward, even towards 2018. No, I, I don't think really the window is closed by any stretch. I think that what this year has been has been a reminder just how fragile building a baseball team. Certainly, how, how fragile building a pitching staff can be, um, and you know we've kind of learned that two years in a row. I mean, I, I do think the Mets season might have looked a little bit different if they've been able to keep going Cinder Guard out there every five days, as opposed to not having him available for most of the last three months. So, you know, these are all things you, that, 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 that you that you have to keep in mind. Obviously, I mean, maybe the bullpen would have seemed less of a, of a dumpster fire if they would have had their closer available for most of the last three months. So, I mean, these are things like everybody experiences injuries, and I think we're complaining anything on injuries and we're losing the Mets. But I do think that you have to keep in mind that, that uh, you know, not only, you know, you have to believe that at some point you're going to get a year where these pitchers are all capable of staying healthy for the majority of the 
time. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of money coming off the books this year if you assume they're not going to re-sign, or excuse me, Cabrera, uh, Walker, um, certainly Granderson. Um, you wouldn't think they're going to re-sign Bruce. I mean, there's just a lot of money that's going to be available to them to really reshape the team around, you know, a core of young players. So, you know, a lot of ways I think next year could be intriguing. Um, but, you know, by the same token, I mean, you have to see some the elements healthy. That's been a elusive target the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering, uh, obviously, one of the uh, players on the team that's had a, a bad season is uh, is Harvey. And I'm wondering, it just seems like based off of comments that Alderson has made, I know he made that uh, page six crack at uh, at Harvey in, uh, in, an, in an update question a couple a couple weeks back in late June. I'm wondering, like, is the is, with with comments like that, is the feeling at this point like wait out free agents until free agency, or basically like if he's able to miraculously work himself into something, then he becomes trade big. I mean, I know, uh, I know your publication, The Post, kind of wrote something about that, and I'm wondering if is that, is that how you feel generally that that that's how the team actually looks at the Harvey situation at this point. Absolutely. I'm, I'm also curious just because there's obviously been a ton of rumors swirling around. And I, I think it's kind of been like a narrative with the Mets now for a while, if not like years about kind of the upper management's view on, on, on star players. I know in kind of things that I've read, it seems like dating back to the eighties, the star players have always kind of generally overrun and done what they want. And I think the, another case of that more, more, more recently was what we saw with with Syndergaard. Is there is, is there also like a feeling kind of around the clubhouse that it is a little bit of like the inmates running the asylum? Just because like the, the Syndergaard situation seemed to be, to, to be honest, like uh, f- from a fan's perspective, I thought Harvey having whatever happened to him and missing a game, I thought that was really bad. I thought what Syndergaard did pitching going and going against uh, doctor's orders and then hurting himself even more was just as egregious, if not more. And I'm just kind of wondering what the general vibe is about the Mets relationship with Syndergaard. Well, I, 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 I think beyond anything else, I think what, <clears throat> what, we're, what we're learning again and again, certainly across this year, is just what a gaping hole uh, David Wright's absence leaves because 
kids. Forget the forget the player he was, and you need to forget what a great player he was at this point. I mean, you sometimes you have to go back and look at and look at his stats page on BaseballReference.com just to remember, remind yourself that David Wright was a great, great player who was absolutely on Hall of Fame track, and so couldn't stay on the field. But beyond that, the most valuable aspect, the most valuable thing he ever brought to the Mets was his leadership. I mean, he really did earn captain's title, and you know, you remember a couple of years ago um, you know, he, was, he, he, he was he was right in the middle of, of kind of a little bit of a, a learning situation with uh, with Syndergaard in the clubhouse in spring training. Um, younger players do respect him, and you know, he was the guy who sat next to Harvey in 2015 in September when Harvey was having issues, you know, kind of wondering you know, how he felt about his innings limit. Harvey's the guy who was always front and center in the clubhouse when Mets lost four games in a row. He was always the guy, despite his own struggles on the field, would be available afterward to talk about the game. These are all things that uh, are almost incalculable. And anybody who wants to talk about you know, how much money he's stolen over the last couple of years because he hasn't been able to get on the field, the, 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 real, the real soul of this team is his presence not being there. Even when he wasn't able to play, and the thing is, you know, you can't you can't replicate that when you're sitting out like he is. You can't pretend to be a captain. You can't get anywhere close to the field, and, and that's what's really hurt the best. I think it, and I think it hurt them in the Harvey situation. I think it hurt them in the Cigar situation. I, you know, I think I think it's hurt them in, in the Cabrera situation because right now Cabrera is what passes for veteran leadership in that team. And so of course, you know, when he says something, it's going to be interpreted a lot louder. It's going to be heard a lot louder. Uh, he's, not, he's, not, he's not the captain, but by sheer, the sheer volume of his career and the experience he has, and the fact that he's playing, I mean, way if he talked, he could have had that kind of a role, but you know, he spent the first two and a half months of the season asleep. So yeah. really, it's Cabrera's team in the sense that he's the, the most established veteran president of the team, and you see the difference between a guy who's, who's clearly unhappy with his role and a guy with David, like David Wright, who, you know, when he was able to play and he was able to be the performance captain's duties, you know, he, he breaks both roles. So is the is the um, is the idea also more so that uh, for someone like Granderson that he's he's more of like a quiet clubhouse guy that people like a lot, but doesn't necessarily end up taking like the leadership role. Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, Granderson has been in the game for a lot of years, but no matter what team he's been on, he's never been what you would call a team leader. He's been, you know, he's been able to quietly lead by example, but that's not what you need out of a captain or out of a, a genuine leader. What you need is someone who's, who's willing to, 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 to shoulder accountability to be front and center. But look, that's just not, that, that, that's just never part of Kirsten's personality. In Detroit with the Yankees, or with the Mets. It's just, you know, when he's invaluable to any of those teams, it's strictly been because of his performance on the field. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, because he's, 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 he's a good teammate. He's a guy who's, who's a good presence. He's certainly an affable guy. It's just, you know, if you're looking for, 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 for the leader of the team, he's the guy you're going to turn to. Um, he's not going to turn steamship wrong, but he's not going to really start a steamship anywhere. And with this team, I think badly needs the guy capable of steering the ship. And unfortunately, I mean, the guy that they have, who they grew for the job for many years, hasn't been available. Yeah, so speaking of, of steering the ship, I'm wondering, from a managerial uh, stance, is is the sense that like this is the last year for Terry, or would he come back, or would is there a chance that he's back next year? I think there's always a chance. I think I, I think look, I mean, it, it, there is some 
Giants after losing to the Rockies on Sunday are seven games under 500. There's obviously not a record to write home about, but there are times I think you would agree that somebody watches you know every game. You look, you think to yourself, it's kind of amazing they're only seven games under 500. Yep. That's really the way that I look at it because it, it just seems like it's been you know one crisis propelled by another. So you know, in a, in a strong sense, what Terry has always done well. And look, there's plenty of reasons to criticize Terry, and he leaves himself open and vulnerable to a lot of critiques and criticisms, and that's fair. But the one thing that you have to say he's done well, even if you're not necessarily a fan, is that he has kept teams together. In the last two years, you know, it's, 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 both those teams had opportunities to fall into the abyss. They didn't. They wanted to the playoffs. Prior to that, you know, when, 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 when you had little or no talent on those teams, you know, when you look back, it's really kind of amazing. None, none of those teams lost 90 games because they were bad teams. You know, that, 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 that somehow he was able to, to muster, you know, performance out of, at least on a reasonable level, until the very end of last season. And so I think that, you know, that, that he'll, be, he'll be judged on that. But, I mean, to me, unless they make an enormous run, they get first, first get north of 500, if they're playing a meaningful game or two in September, even if we stretch the, the value of the North Award meaningful, I think that's really the only way to come back. And I think it's probably going to be a, a two-way street on that one. I think... Terry's enjoyed his run here. Terry's also, you know, clearly one of the older, one of the older uh, guys still being, you know, still employed in professional baseball. I think there comes a time when you know you just have to see to a young man, to a younger man, and I think that that's something that might you know, might have interested also. Even though, you know, I know that uh, that, that that on the whole, I think the uh, the, 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 the management of the Mets tend to uh, appreciate the job he does more than a lot of the fans do. Yeah, absolutely. Um... All right, switching gears, I'm curious, uh, st- but sticking on the managerial front office level, the Knicks. I know you recently uh, wrote that you liked uh, you liked their hire of uh, of Scott Perry. I'm just wondering for to tell uh, fans who uh, who are still who are still dubious of the, the entire situation. I, I guess what uh, why uh, why are you okay with what uh, with what the Knicks are doing at least in in, in that in that regard? Fans are very to me too because just because just because one guy in the New York Post happens to make the news from something else, I don't think that's necessarily cause to have an incredible amount of, of optimism. Right. Um, so I mean, I think the Knicks fans clearly have you know, earned their their perspective of cynicism or whatever you want to call it because it's and they 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 have a right to be cynical because the Mets are, the Knicks have been that kind of terrible you know, show for the last seventeen years of caring. That said, I. I, I Everything I've been able to glean about about Perry, I mean, he seems like a positive hire. The guy who's tasted success, not running the show, but you know, having 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 his hands, you know, in successful operations, you know, specifically in Detroit, where he was a uh, Joe Dumars' right hand man. So, uh, you know, that would be good. I I, I just think the fact that they're able to to attract somebody who you know has track record, is willing to come. Uh, I, I I I wrote the other day that I saw just the fact that. Um, they put the brakes on the Carmelo trade is a good sign. I still expect Carmelo to get traded. You know, he may want to get traded to the same teams they were talking to. But I do think it's a, it, it, it at least indicates that they want to try and, and reboot and give the new guy a chance to at least have a say. Now, whether he has final say, whether he has you know, primary influence in what they do, we'll have to see that. And like I said, the Knicks don't have a great track record for you to necessarily put all your, all your belief and all your faith their basket, but, you know, that said, I think it is, it, 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 it is an opportunity for them to show this stage that they know how they have to go about things, 
and they have to do things differently just because there's only so many times you can let the same angle fall on your head. And that's what the Knicks have really done to themselves in the last 17 years. Yeah, I guess what what I'm just so what I'm just so confused by, and like, granted, for the first time in a while, it actually seems like, from a front office perspective, the Nets are in far better hands uh, than the Knicks are. Um, so I'm taking my uh, my moment of, of of glory, but um, I just I just don't really understand the the Mills the Mills element in that I I understand that Dolan is clearly has a relationship with him and. And I've I've heard kind of like the terms thrown out that like Dolan's like a quote unquote very loyal guy, but I mean he wasn't so loyal that he let. I mean Mills is obviously below uh, Phil Jackson uh, for the last for, for the last three years. So what I guess what confuses me is like what's the hesitancy in getting a big name splash to be the actual president who actually like does know what they're who actually does have like a sophisticated uh, background knowledge like making. Hinky, the president of basketball operations, and then letting him hire his own GM, and maybe that is like a Scott Perry esque type person. But I'm just confused, like why Mills is still there. Sam, if I can answer that, or if you can answer that, we both be answer. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. That just seems. It's a great question. Um, uh, you know, the fascinating thing about Dolan is that you know, he also owns the Rangers. Sometimes it's hard to, to reconcile in your mind that. That uh, that uh, he owns both operations because one runs so smoothly and has done so for the better part of a decade, and the other one runs so haphazardly and is so hard to watch sometimes. Right. So uh, it, 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 it's, it's a uh, you know it's, it's, it's a real mystery to me. I, I know this is the second time around. You know, which tells you that uh, that he not only has has the boss's confidence, but you know so much confidence that he wanted to bring him back after he actually left. Right. Um, I've yet to see anything that would justify that. I think you probably get to see anything that would justify that. Most fans haven't. Um, Dolan does. And, you know, we can be the old man yelling in crowds about, uh, you know, why well, I wish there was nowhere. I wish we sell the team. But as long as Madison Square Garden is an ETM machine on game nights, that's not going to happen. So, therefore, you have to you have to take the, 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 the small incremental steps forward that, you know, that, you, that, that, that are there for you. And the idea that it's at the very least they decided to try and recognize somebody who's got a basketball background and who, at least apparently, was doing some say, I mean, that's the path for good news around the Knicks. And that's part of the reason why Knicks fans are so, you know, are, are so hesitant to try and, you know, greet it like a new game because who knows if it is or not. Yeah. And um, so I guess my next question to you is so let's, right, so let's assume that I, I guess this is going to be the, the, uh, the front office team, and I guess like the Hornacek questions are are gonna come and go. I'm 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 assuming that'll that that won't stop until there's either a breaking point or they actually have some type of success. My I guess my question for you is though is like now that they have Hardaway and they have Porzingis and they still at this point um, have Melo. I guess like I'm I've actually become I've been pro trading Melo even though I'm not even a Knicks fan forever. But now I'm wondering like. I mean, the, the East is so much weaker than it was a couple uh, a couple like a couple months ago. I mean, the the, the Bulls are, are decimated, the Hawks are decimated. You'd have a ton of teams that are in uh, rebuilding mode. The Pacers obviously just lost uh, George. They cut Monte Ellis. Like, I'm, I mean, if the, I mean, if the Knicks actually get like a 
a decent year, or if they make a few savvy plays and they overperform, I don't see why they couldn't kind of tread, get close to the AC. I still don't think they're a playoff team because I'm not a, f- a huge fan of a lot of the players on their team. But it seems like, especially if you keep Mello and Mello also, I think Mello, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Mello can opt out on, on this year if he, uh, and so if he has a great year, I mean, he could potentially get like a small two or three year deal that's worth a ton of money uh, per year. So, I mean, at this point, like, I don't even know, because it seems like even if they do trade Melo, I don't think because they play in the East and because they still have like some players, like also like with Courtney Lee and stuff like that, like Lance Thomas, like they're not going to be a like a bottom three or four team, I don't think anymore. So it just it, it just seems like they're in a bizarre spot. Well, it's a question why it's, it's, it's so easy to question the double and uh, second guess the Hardaway deal because right. Um, you know, the, the, you know, the worst place you can be in pro basketball is winning twenty four and thirty games because you're going to be out of the playoffs, but you're going to have a you know the eighth pick or the ninth pick or the tenth pick. You know, right where the next one this year. You don't you, you, you don't get get better quickly that way. I, which is part of the reason why, look, I, 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 I don't think Melo is going to is going to play the season for the Knicks, and I don't think that he should because I just think that's just completely counterproductive. However, I do think that, 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 that I, I continue to say this, that uh, you, you touch on something interesting there. It is a weak conference. There are going to be teams, I think, you probably overestimate what they're capable of doing, you know, because they've got to possibly make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. So there's going to be probably more of a market for him than there, uh, you know, there, there, there otherwise would have been. Because you're going to have other teams that are going to, you know, see them, you know, see what's, uh, you know, what's out there for them. And maybe they can open up the market for, for Carmelo. But of course, the problem with that is that Carmelo still has a hammer. He can still say no if he wants to say no. And, uh, you know, that's the ultimate, the eternal gift that Phil Jackson gave his franchise. Yeah, and I mean, I guess, uh, Looking back now, and obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but does it does it seem to feel like a lot of this mellow not waving his trade, uh, not waving his trade clause, and now being willing to is a, is a, is a lot of that like ego fill based? Um, I, I, I'm sorry, I, 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 I think you're taking part of that question. No, I'm it's, sorry, no, uh, my fault. Is is it is it safe to say that now that? I mean, Phil is gone, and all of a sudden, Melo's now willing to go to Houston or Cleveland, which it seemed like he wasn't as willing to go to a contender, or, or it felt at least like he wanted to beat out Phil beforehand. Is it is it safe to say that a lot of him his unwillingness to waive the trade clause was ego based in terms of outlasting Phil? Well, I think it was ego based because of Phil. I mean, I think, I, I think that this could have had just, just much of a lack of success over these last couple of years, and Melo still would have been fine to try and play, you know, play out the rest of the deal. Without acting like a malcontent, but I do think that I do think that he sensed that, that, that he sensed that it was a uh, it was a victory for him to outlast Phil, and I do think that he feels he probably should be rewarded for being a good soldier for the most part because you know for all the times that Phil played him uh, publicly, uh, he never answered him and refused to right to the very end, and um, you know I do think that there's you know there's definitely uh, an ego part that goes along with it, and I think. That Melo would be happy to stick around here now if he thought the Knicks still wanted them. I think in overall sense, I mean, people on the Knicks now, you know, they may not say it as overtly as Phil did, but I think they also have come to the conclusion that they're better off without Melo. And so, you know, if that's the case, it's just best to try and figure out a joint exit plan. Uh, 
two final questions. Do you do you get the sense that because um, I obviously all, all I know about Dolan is from whatever like I read is like does Dolan is he one of these owners that like truly does care about winning or is it or like is is it like ten percent winning ninety percent making sure that it's like a profitable business or does he or is he or is he actually like one of these owners that really does want to win, but it's just horrendous in personnel like decisions. Yeah, I think I think I think it's probably closer to that, Sam. I think that uh, I look. I mean, I laugh at other people you know, in their anger, and, and, and it is justified anger. It's, it's 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 understandable anger. When they say stuff like, "Well, he just doesn't want to win," no, of course he wants to win. You prefer to win than to lose, and think that winning and losing shouldn't. You know, bear into whether your, your, your business is successful or not. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, the Knicks are such a one always successful team when they lose, they need to go the season. So, therefore, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't make a lot of money in the result of it. But, I mean, certainly give him a choice between winning or losing, he prefer to win. But I do think he's got a, he's got a real uh, lacking when it comes to, to, to identifying, hiring, and training when it comes to the people that he hires. I mean, Unfortunately, I, I, I think Isaiah could have done a better job. I think part of Isaiah's problem is that he felt pressured to advance his, to advance his scale in terms of the horse calendar, in terms of when things would get done. But Isaiah did well, and when the Knicks never really allowed him to really you know, pursue in terms of, uh, of taking advantage of that, is, is he's a great finder of talent, a great evaluator of talent, especially young talent. I mean, you know, he, 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 you can see the game in Stadivar is going to be player, Marcus Camden, you can go on that, you know, and he really did assemble some good teams, some good players with the Knicks, it's not necessarily good teams, because it just was, you know, there was a constant shuffling of, of players in and out, and of course he made a share of that decision also, but I think part of it is that, you know, he got caught up in the vicious cycle of, of wanting to win today, and, you know, even though it seemed like he was around forever, I almost think that, that you know, his time here would have been better spent if he would have you know, been given a sign from, from on high that, you know, that, that, that it was okay to rebuild for, for, for a year or two or three. So uh, I think that's part of it. You know, I, I, mean, yeah, I think that, look, I think that, that Dolan hired Phil Jackson tells you that he wanted to win. It was a misguided, ill-fated decision. But he didn't do it thinking he was going to be misguided or ill-fated. I mean, he did it because he's the most famous basketball name in the world, the most successful basketball coach. And hoping that like Phil Riley before him, like Jerry West before him, he would be just as good in another aspect of the game, being president, as, as another. And that just didn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's all. No, that's all totally fair. Um, last question for you, which is a question that I've been arguing about with uh, friends a lot. In in your time covering New York sports, which which team do you find when they're um, doing well and on the brink of a championship, whatever, who, who capt who captivates the city the, uh, the most? Cause to me, it, it, it's always seemed like when the Knicks are at all good, everything focuses on them, but I'm wondering, uh, I'm wondering, uh, your view. You know what? To me, it's not even close. To me, it's the Knicks. Yeah. Um, the, the, the way I've described it, uh, you know, I think the Knicks are In the time when the Knicks were, were, were going to the playoffs every year, advancing deep in the playoffs every year, baseball season in this town didn't start until the day after the Knicks were eliminated from the playoffs. And that was a fact. 
makes for such an obsessive uh, follow for so many people in this town. And we're talking about time when both baseball teams were doing really well. You know, the Knicks went to the, went to the finals in 1999. You know, that was the year when the, when the Yankees were defending champions and they're going to win another championship. When the Mets were going to go to the playoffs for the first time in 11 years. And even if, and, you know, and both teams are going to see that we're going to draw about 7 million people to the, to the ballparks. That's great. But in terms of the movement in New York City, Baseball season, even in 1999, even in 2000, did not begin until the day after the Knicks were eliminated. I still think it could be that way because I still think that there is that much passion devoted to the Knicks. Unfortunately, it's just been unrewarded for so long. So I am kind of wondering. I mean, the fact is, there are still bodies in those seats. There are still, you know, fans in those seats, as Mr. Simon used to say. My question is, will the obsession that used to follow the Knicks around when they were good that will return. I think it will because they got a, a very small fleeting window in the next 154 games a couple of years ago. They never won really good year they had during the Carmelo Anthony time. And it really was kind of like that again. Um, and it was over before it started, unfortunately. But during the course of that year, and they won a playoff round over the Celtics, which was nice. Uh, the Garden was alive and the fan base was energized. And really did kind of hit it what it was before. And I think it could be like that again. And I think that that's the, you know, as much as, as, much, as, much as got, people like the Yankees, as much as people like the Giants, as much as they care about the Jets and the Mets and so on and so forth, and the hockey fans love their teams, and the Mets fans love their team, uh, there's nothing in comparison to the Knicks when they're doing well. Yeah, no, that's, that's how I've... That's all I've always thought. Last uh, uh, bonus question: Will we see Rosario and uh, Ahmed Rosario come up with the Mets in the next month, month and a half? Uh, I would say sometime in the next three to five weeks. It's hard to imagine he wouldn't be here. I think the, the Mets are ultimately going to identify themselves as sellers. Once that happens, there's, they, they, they lose whatever final excuse there is to not have to give these kids a, you know, kind of a running start for next year. All right. Well, that's a. Uh... That's at least a positive note for the Mets. All right, this has been the uh, 31st episode of the Latch Podcast with uh, sports writer Mike Vaccaro from the uh, New, York Post, New York Post. Mike, thanks so much for uh, being on. Hey, it was a lot of fun talking to you again. Yeah, great talking to you. Yeah, you're, out, you're, you're the first uh, repeat uh, repeat guest, which is uh, which I'm sure is a, a huge honor for uh, <laughs> for you. I will, I, I will look to show up at Charlie Miller Light. And and also uh, can hope to uh, continue to hear you on uh, on Joe and Evan and uh, and the fans because uh, all those all those podcasts are also great. Sounds good. All right, thanks a lot, Mike.